Hello, you beautiful gamers out there, and welcome to In Sequence with Patrick Spin and Drew. The podcast where we talk about video games and their sequels, remakes, and spiritual successors. I'm Spin. I'm Patrick. And I'm Drew. And without further ado, let's start talking about some video games and see how they truly match up. joining us on In Sequence with Patrick Spin and Drew. Today we're going to be doing something a little bit different from our normal formula of talking about one game and one sequel. Today we're going to be talking about the entire Assassin's Creed franchise. It all began on November 13th, 2007, when the original Assassin's Creed released on PC, Xbox 360, and PS3. Assassin's Creed is an open-world, stealthy action-adventure game centered around free-running and assassination. The main aspect is, you know, going through important periods of history, like the very first game took place during the Third Crusade. Critically, Assassin's Creed met with mostly sevens, sometimes eights, so it was kind of average in that area. That's well, pretty good for a game. I mean, sevens yeah. are usually like, yeah. you know, C's get degrees. <laughs> yeah. And especially for an entirely new IP and the first game of the franchise, it wasn't bad. It was met fairly decently. And the franchise continued with a fairly consistent formula of releasing practically one game a year, each game introducing a new character and or time period, such as the Renaissance to the American Revolution all the way up to Victorian England. And naturally, some of these games were met with really high praise and others not so much. Now that we've covered some basic background on the Assassin's Creed franchise and how it all started, let's get into the technical aspects of all the different games and how they match up, starting with graphics. So, Assassin's Creed 1, coming out in, you know, 2007, it didn't have the best of graphics, and obviously it wasn't, like, Tomb Raider style, where it was incredibly blocky and polygonal, but mm -hmm. it was pretty good. It wasn't the best, but it worked for the time. And one big thing about the game was that it was dull and colorless, but I feel like that fits with the setting, because that takes place in Jerusalem, and at that time period of the Crusades, things weren't exactly bright and popping, Very so. bleak, very bleak. Full of sand. <laughs> Yeah, lots of sand. Another thing to keep note of is this was also 2007. The PS3 had just come out in 2006. One years old. Yes, yeah, so it was very new for the time, the technology that they were given. So they were still developing it. And this was Ubisoft, which is a big company. And as games progressed and technology progressed, skills progressed, especially in the newer games when we moved from the Xbox 360 and PS3 over to the Xbox One and PlayStation 4, we've seen seen much better graphics. Not necessarily console-defining graphics, but things that show you what a decent amount of the console can achieve. Yeah, there's, there's a very big difference between seeing the original Assassin's Creed and, say, our current installment of it, Syndicate. Syndicate yeah, it looks very different. Yeah, Syndicate is a beautiful representation of sort of a Victorian England, and we've had this whole span of games that all have different graphical designs, like the second game, which was 
because Assassin's Creed 2 took place in the Renaissance, Renaissance Italy, mainly in Venice and in Florence, and just this huge popping of colors. The water looked beautiful, and the games, they've just gotten better over time. Of course, there have been some games that have had some pretty glaring graphical problems. Such as uh, Unity, actually, one of the first to be on the PS4 and Xbox One, and uh, when it launched, it didn't exactly have the best looking. I mean, the game looked great, but it was very buggy. Yeah. At times, you would have some characters whose faces would pop off, and it would look like Two Face if it was his entire face, basically. Very creepy. Like, yeah. Very big bulgy eyeballs, just like it looked like someone just glued dentures on the front of their face. And I would imagine that would have turned off a lot of players to this game. Yeah. So it did get patched, and Drew, I believe, when you played the game, you actually didn't experience any uh, of these graphical yes, problems. Yes, actually, see, I didn't play it on launch day. I probably played it a year after the game was out, and uh, patched is perfectly fine now, so... But that did not help it from no, definitely not. having a terrible launch that no. garnered lots of negative critic and audience reviews. Oh yeah, you mention Unity to anyone nowadays, and you can just see them wince in pain, like, oh god, not that game. <laughs> and a lot of that is due to those graphical bugs. But moving on from graphics, let's talk with one of the big things for our podcast, sound music and voice. Speaking of moving on to sound, if any of you recognize that eagle screech that we have been using for our transitions, that is actually one of the iconic sound effects present through most of the games, because the assassin's symbolic animal is the eagle. Eagles are present in all of the games, and we hear that screech, that beautiful sound effect, in many instances throughout all of the games. Yeah, usually when performing a uh, leap Synchroni of... Synchronization. Synchronization. Which... And then the leap of faith into the hay oh yeah that's when you hear that that was really that good. was really good wow <laughs> apart from that there aren't that many real sound effects to talk about that are all that noteworthy it's really stayed very consistent throughout the games with your basic array of weaponry specifically the assassin's iconic hidden blades yeah hearing the come out and... it's always a pleasing sound to yeah, hear definitely and yes. their sound quality is very good there's not much more to say but that's because really the true nuances of sound come out within the music and the voice so for music the creators of the game worked very hard to research each of the settings that each game takes place in and with that all the music in each of the games reflects the settings so in assassin's creed one a lot of the music reflects that of jerusalem and you'll hear like if you ever listen to any music that came from there there are a lot of similarities within them and then whenever we move on to venice and a lot of other european countries you and get they, the string instruments games, and stuff. Yeah. yeah. And actually, I think that's where the music really stands out, is in those Venetian settings. It's very, oh, uh, yeah. Especially because the Renaissance at the time, you would have street performers playing the lute, playing music while performing, and all these things. And, and they run up to you, and you're just like, leave me alone. <laughs> Go yeah. away. That music really helps set the stage and immerses you into the overall experience. You think that you are in Venice, in those large squares with all those 
those performers. It's just like being at the Venetian in and Vegas. And actually, I just wanted to add that also with music, one of my favorites being Assassin's Creed 4, you have the, the pirate sea shanties that are like embedded oh, yeah. within oh, it. Yeah. And it's just, it immerses you, making you feel kind of like a pirate. Because the majority of uh, Assassin's Creed 4 Black Flag, you are a pirate and you sail the seven seas and do stuff. And it's and awesome. And i that it really immerses you thinking. Actually, one of my favorite things to do in that game was go around and collect the sea shanties so I would have more, more songs to, sing, exactly. to have my crew <laughs> sing stuff, on the yeah. boat. Ah, yeah. oh, that's lovely. So overall, the music throughout most of the games has just done a spectacular job of really bringing you into the universe that the game sets up. Even the bad ones. Even the bad ones have great music. Oh, yeah. yeah. Unity, for example. Unity the, has great music. Those uh, French little tunes that you would hear. Even, I want to say you would hear people whistling those mm-hmm. little French ditties while you were running through the streets. And Assassin's Creed 3 kind of have the marching type drums because of the whole wars type scenarios. Yeah. All that Revolution stuff. Yeah. War and all that. And uh, moving on with that, we have voice. Voice! Now, in the first game, I don't really feel like the voices did the game justice because the voice acting was rather mediocre. No one really sounded like they were Middle Eastern. Yeah. Oh, not at all. Yeah. Except for like, yeah. you know, the main bad guy, I think. He, he had like a pretty thick accent. But, but the voice acting was pretty, uh, I'd say, decent when you're not inside the animus. Oh, yeah, because yeah. Uh, Nolan North. Nolan North, the quintessential voice actor. Him yeah. and Troy Baker, let's of let's course. be fair. They are. And the, I think they had uh, Kristen Bell, correct? Yeah. As, and she's as a Lucy. Yeah, and she's a professional actress as well. So. And that was really something that I was <laughs> disappointed in when they got rid of Desmond for the later games, is you, don't, you no longer have Nolan North and just the feeling that he brings to every character that he yeah. ever does is you don't see that anymore especially because you become these silent characters yeah. in the newer games that definitely that don't talk so you sort of lose that but still all of the characters that are present within the animus and these simulations of past ancestors that's why we have these past timelines all of the voices after the first game have just been spot on oh yeah especially Ezio with his Italian accent yeah and whenever we whenever you first launch Assassin's Creed 2 and onward like you can immediately tell the jump in improvement and voice acting from 1 and 2 because with 1 it's just so bland and with 2 boom you got that Italian accent and everything's all like I haven't played any of 2 or Brotherhood in years but I can still hear crisply in my mind Ezio saying requiescat in pace which translates to rest in peace and he would say that whenever he would assassinate a high profile target. So moving on from voice, let's get into the real crux of the game, and that is gameplay. So the first game kind of revolves around some free-running stealth assassinations and an attack system, which definitely improved over the years. The first game is definitely not the best representation of, like, what all the other games became, I'd say. The the fighting, too, was really bland. Hit, defend, hit, defend, and eventually they die. But a two, actually, I'd say Brotherhood is where they got their core fighting mechanics, I'd say, that kind of have stayed the same throughout most of the the games. 
slight little tweaks. Especially because in the first game, you were basically limited to, you have a sword for fights, and you have your hidden blade for assassinations. Yeah, for and the that stealth was... portion. Also, you had throwing daggers yeah, in the which first game, weren't which you could... Good. Yeah. <laughs> the, they were rather ineffective, just trying to get off some damage at a distance, but it basically came down to your sword and your hidden blade. But in the second game, they really picked that up with giving you an entire arsenal, and they worked on that throughout all the games, sort of tailoring that arsenal of weaponry to each character. Ezio had dual hidden blades, he had various swords that he could use, he had a crossbow, a hidden gun, daggers. And he there were heavy weapons as they well. They had little bombs that you could craft as well. That was in, that was in Revelations, the bomb crafting, yeah. which was a fun addition to that game. Then you go to, to characters such as Connor from Assassin's Creed 3, and he would have his faster-paced tomahawk fighting oh, yeah. style. He would have his rope darts that, rope he darts could, fun. that he could hang people up on trees with. He had a bow and arrow for hunting because he was this half-Native American character of Native American descent, so they really played into that. you could sometimes that. pick up uh, rifles as well. Yeah, yeah, you could pick up your enemy's weapons and use them against them, which I thought that was really cool because in all the other games, I think in two they incorporated, but in one, like, they definitely didn't have anything where no. you could pick up another person's weapon and use it against them. And the free running just kept getting better and better and better. And I would say where that actually peaked to where the free running was a staple to where it was probably at its best was Assassin's Creed 3. You could pretty much climb anything in that game. Yeah, you it could was climb insane. trees. You could climb rocks. It was really uh, a step up. Even though as amazing as 2 is, it's, it's climbing is uh, very sluggish now going back. Yeah. And I feel like with their newest installment, Syndicate, I feel like they improved upon the mechanics even more because as the games improved, they also, a major problem that was present was ascending and descending building faces were kind of blocky and it was somewhat difficult to do exactly what you want because I remember moments where I'd try and like lean back so I could jump across to the other building oh, and yeah. instead my character would kind of like flip back and forth between like facing the building he's climbing and facing the building he's trying to jump across and then he just kind of like drops yeah. and stuff. And but, synchronize. Yeah, but oh. now they kind of made that simplified by uh, when you when you are running around, one of the buttons, there's like two of the buttons you can hold. You can either, basi it basically like auto uh, jumps up uh, or auto descends. And uh, then one thing they also included to improve the getting up faster was a grappling hook. And we know that practically every game is improved with a grappling hook. <laughs> Very much. <laughs> sure seems that way. But yeah, uh, with the grappling hook, you can scale incredibly large buildings in seconds when yeah. normally it would take like a half a minute in order to like trudge and climb, jump to a window, jump up a post, get on this thing. And I, I will also add that going off of that, it was actually Unity that added the ability to quickly descend down yes. Yes, because originally you could climb up buildings just fine, but then if you wanted to go down, it would be a slow trudge down the side of a building or you would have to find a place to do a leap of faith. And yes, the leap of faiths are fun. They're iconic. You go but up to But they're also really high up. Is that's yeah. the problem? You don't want to keep climbing all the way up just to get back down. Yeah, because there's only like a couple leap of faith areas. Synchronization points. Yeah, synchronization points. There's only like a very limited amount. Like everywhere else in the towns and cities that you're in, yes, there are like hay bales that you can land in, but it's not like you're not always going to be around one. Yeah, so. yeah. So your best bet so is by either to jump feature, onto a small yeah. thing or just climb down. Yeah, I would just say all in all, as the series progressed, they made sure to refine each game and took what was a problem 
problem in the last game and fixed it in this. Yeah, and with these all being different games that take place in different periods of time, they all have their little quirks and special gameplay features that the other games don't necessarily include. And some of these have been really cool and really fun, and some of these have been absolute garbage. Now, I know one that pops to mind when you say garbage gameplay, McKay. <laughs> <laughs> let's get the elephant out of the room here, and we'll talk about that first, which is the tower defense section of Assassin's Creed Revelations. Oh, God. Basically... That's the only game that they incorporated, too, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Yes. Basically, in Assassin's Creed Brotherhood and onward, they included this and built upon this gameplay mechanic of you have a group of assassins at your disposal that you can call into battle to fight for you, to assassinate targets, to rain down arrows, things like that. And it was really fun. And they built upon that. And when they got to Revelations, which was the second game that it was present in, they added this feature where you could assign assassins to various locations that you've liberated. And each assassin you would send on missions to build up their rank so they would become, go from trainees to becoming master assassins. The only thing is those places that you've liberated, their little towers, they could get invaded and you would have to go to those places and do a tower defense minigame that was absolute trash. It was horrible to play. It was hard. They seemed to always get past me. It was not easy to control. It was horrible. It honestly felt to me that the only reason they gave in the game for upgrading your assassins to master assassin is once you have a master assassin at an outpost, that outpost can no longer be invaded. So that was really my only motivation for upgrading my assassins is so I wouldn't have to play the tower defense game again. But now that that's out of the, out of the way, let's talk about some of the good, such as the ship mechanics. Well, okay, I will have to say that I was one of the naysayers when I first played Assassin's Creed 3. I didn't think that it was all that good, but when they made Assassin's Creed 4, I did have doubts, and I gotta say, they were completely squashed. It was completely redone and fixed to not only make me super addicted and want to kill every single ship out there, try to get every little little thing and just keep exploring the seas. It was, it was amazing, I'd say. Yeah, basically what we're talking about here is in Assassin's Creed 3, this is taking place during the Revolutionary War, as we've stated, and there are parts where you captain a ship. You get your own ship and you have a crew and you captain it and there's naval combat. And it was kind of fun. There were some broken parts about it, to mm. be fair. But that was one of the defining parts of Assassin's Creed 3 that a lot of people really liked and they wanted to see more of. So in Assassin's <laughs> Creed 4, what they did was they took that and they made it the staple of the entire game. Oh yeah. They Which... made you a pirate and they, they made your entire travel system through this ship. That's how you would get from these smaller base locations on land versus larger expanses of land that you would travel to via fast travel. And oh my god, it worked. Very much so. The uh, naval combat in Assassin's Creed 4 was fantastic. It was addicting. It uh, was. I wanted to upgrade my ship. I wanted to go up against larger ships that were bigger and badder and better were, and take them called? down. What were those called? Those big ships? They... The, the war The legendary. The legendary the war frigates. Those yeah. were... I wanted to do so much just so I could kill just one legendary. So I'm just going out there upgrading, taking down little ships, taking down the schooners, taking down every little thing. 
thing just so I can take down the legendary. They it they was, were fun. It was very fun. Uh, oh yeah. And I'm glad that more people liked it in Assassin's Creed 3 versus me because we wouldn't have had this awesome gameplay mechanic that was like fully realized in 4. This is this is very true. And now in Assassin's Creed Syndicate, we have a lot of cool new features. We've got carriages that you can ride and Oh, I love the carriage yeah. combat and racing around town. It's basically like Grand Theft Auto in Victorian England, <laughs> which is really fun. Oh yeah. And now you actually have two characters that you control instead of one. You have Jacob, which is the more brutish type character, and you have Evie Fry. Yeah, they're, they're both brother and sister, Jacob and Evie Fry. And Evie is more like she goes closer to stealth and being sneaky and everything. Parkouring as well, I believe. She's got a little bit of improvement with. Also, in uh, Syndicate, uh, one new mechanic that I thought was rather interesting. Actually, I don't think it's too new. Where you could recruit other people to join you because, you know, the whole area is basically like under a gang war type thing. And uh, the one gang that you assist, they all wear like green coats. But the Rooks. Yeah, the, the Rooks. rooks. Uh, you can recruit them on the streets and they'll join your party and you can have like a little uh, ensemble of like three or four guys depending on how many times you upgrade the perks. And they'll fight people for you. You can even like set them all up to basically like execute a whole bunch of people at once and start a little gang turf war kind of thing. It's always really fun. Now, going backwards a little bit, back to like Assassin's Creed 2 and Assassin's Creed Brotherhood, one thing I want to get your guys' opinion on, because this is a very split topic, is in the game you meet, in first in Assassin's Creed 2, you meet Leonardo da Vinci, and he crafts for you all these different gadgets, some of which we've talked about, such as the dual hidden blades <laughs> or the hidden gun and stuff like that. The, ca the craftable bombs and whatnot. But he would also send you on missions involving his <laughs> different real-life inventions, such as his flying machine and his tank. I want your guys' take, because some people really hated those missions, but I really enjoyed those. I thought they were a fun sort of takeaway from the main gameplay. Yeah, I see, I don't think I played very many, because I remember the flying one, and I think that's about it. So I don't have much to say other than I might have been, I might have been bored, but I'll have to go back to it now that you're mentioning it. When I first played the flying mission, it was incredibly aggravating for me. I think that's why. The controls were kind of janky, and so I died on that level so many times I was getting infuriated with it, but then eventually I ended up doing it, and I found like the idea itself in it is lots of fun. It was just... It was it, unique. It was new. It was different. It just could have been implemented with better controls. Yes. I, I can agree to that. I can agree with that. That's certainly why I'm sure a lot of people didn't like them, was because it was kind of hard to control, and it was sort of weird having to dip down and find those large fires to elevate yourself back up, but okay. I, I, I enjoyed the nuance of them. Of course, the big thing when we talk about gameplay, really here, is the fact that you actually play as a character in present day, and you go into this machine called the Animus that takes you back to the memories of ancestors, and all the games have implemented different gameplay mechanics revolving around you in the present day. The first few games where you play as Desmond Miles. Well, the first one, can you really do anything? No, you, I don't basically think you walking it's... around, listening, yeah. and uh, then investigating the... your bedroom that they put you in. And yes. then at the very end, you use Eagle Vision yeah. to see all the yeah. hidden stuff. But other than that, it's very, very basic gameplay for yeah. Desmond Miles. And then in the second game, there was more, there was a little bit of combat and mostly yeah. just sort of exploring around the villa. Yes. Let's see. And in Brotherhood, it was more of the same, right? Yeah. More exploration. More, more exploration. But then when it got to yeah, Revelations, Revelations is 
definitely when it changed. Yeah. yeah. And it was Revelations where you get trapped in the Animus and you have to do these first person puzzle sections that were really weird and I did not like those at all. The, st the story behind them were kind of cool because you get to explore a little bit of Desmond's own past, but you have to control yourself in first person and do these platforming puzzle sections. And Which is just weird. It was the, just The weird. entire game takes place in a third person view. It's like for this, they bring you into first person. It's jarring. It's yeah. unnecessary. Yeah. It's like, why? Uh, and actually, they kind of improved that overall. I think they took some of the exploration parts like you did two in Brotherhood and did that for three. And I think that's probably the best one modern wise because you can do a lot more as Desmond. I enjoyed yeah. those moments in Because there were actual Desmond. missions to do in the real world to go from place to place. and Yeah, uh, you actually and, parkour through a very large industrial building that's like in mid-construction. Mm -hmm. And then whenever you end up in the main cave area that you spend most of the modern time in in the game, there's little sections here and there where you parkour and wall run in the cave. And that was very fun. That, oh, that yeah. was very really interesting. That I, was, I was actually... Those were the parts I was looking forward to the most because I wanted to explore the entire cave so I would go back into the Animus and play all those sections just so I could come back out and see more of so the cave. Know, yeah, definitely. And that makes me so hyped for a future game where they have modern day assassins because yeah. they have not done that yet and I want it. Yeah. yeah, because basically in the more recent games we haven't been able to play as Desmond and that's one of the things that I really hate the most because we don't get that modern assassin type gameplay that we really had when we there that they were progressing with with Desmond and now what we have well okay so so four kind of took the revelations route and went back to first person type stuff uh but it was better oh it was no it was definitely yeah. better there wasn't all this type of puzzle stuff i like okay that. There, there were hacking puzzles i liked the hacking puzzles though those were enjoyable yeah no no, no i i enjoyed being outside of the animus um again i think the reason why the first the first person was fine what made it more interesting was the whole conspiracy it just really like the story is was outside of the animus was also really like well done and I think they should have kept that but they didn't with Unity there wasn't any of that they kind of took it all away yeah so now we were just stuck with the assassin I guess same thing with Syndicate there really isn't all that much outside of which the animus. is really a bummer from what yeah. I've played so far now I haven't beaten the game yet I'm planning on going back into it in the future but so far I don't think I've been taken out of the animus like once yeah since I started it hasn't it hasn't happened for me either they like played... don't even care about modern day stuff anymore it's such yeah. like it's basically an easter egg at the beginning and end of the game and sure i now. feel that's really like a missing mechanic to these games i mean it, it started with the first one and it just kind of got dropped after the fourth game yeah uh, i i think in my own opinion what's happened is they were using those outside sections as experimentation and playing around with different ideas on how they can implement new gameplay mechanics into the game and they realized that what people wanted most was just the basic free-running gameplay that we love so much especially in assassin's creed 3 outside of the animus but they decided to stop giving that to us and just focus on I guess I feel, inside the animus yeah and i guess I, I i don't know i feel the odd one out because i really felt like with each sequence it broke up the pacing to go okay do a chapter leave the animus go do such and such and then go back and play the sequence it was a it had a good pacing you know what, what was going to happen next going back and forth yeah it wasn't too jarring for me at least. so without further ado since we're heading into uh dangerous territory with uh getting more into the story of Desmond Miles and all that, I think we should uh, take a small break real quick and give a word from our sponsor. Today's show is sponsored by Hasbro's Nerf toy brand. If you're looking for foam-based weaponry and dart blasters, look no further than Nerf. 
Nerf has been delivering quality dart blasters since 1969. And today, Nerf is introducing its new AccuStrike darts. The new AccuStrike darts slightly sacrifice distance for incredible accuracy. This new design is proven to strike your target precisely where you aim. These new darts come packed with the new Alpha Hawk and Falcon Fire blasters. The best part? The darts and blasters are forward and backwards compatible. That's right. The new darts will work with old blasters because they all work with each other. And the old darts will work with the new blasters. So what are you waiting for? Up your accuracy today with the new Nerf AccuStrike darts. And remember, it's Nerf or nothing! And welcome back from our advertisement. Moving on to story. While now it may be a little too broad to go into each individual story, I'd say we can stick with the first four games. Yeah. With with Desmond and kind of what goes on there, and then give a little brief. Yeah, that was like a really interesting part of the Assassin's Creed series was from games one through Revelations. Through yeah, through three, three technically. Yeah. One so through three. One, two, Brotherhood, Brotherhood Revelations, then three. Yeah. It's as confusing as that. They is. all had sort of a dual story going on because in the very beginning we follow Desmond Miles in modern times which it follows the date that the games came out so the first game took place in 2007 all the way up until 2012 and Desmond Miles was this man who was taken into Abstergo Industries to be put in some sort of weird coffin looking thing that called the Animus yeah called the the Animus that accesses the memories of his ancestors through his DNA and genetics and stuff they find the memories within those genetics. And what he discovers when he relives those memories is that he is an ancestor of the Assassin's Creed, this group throughout time of assassins fighting basically to keep the freedom of people's free will, essentially, (laughs) against this other group, the Knights Templar. Templar Order. And essentially, what is going on with Abstergo is Abstergo is the modern-day iteration of the Templars, and they are using assassins through the Animus to, from their memory, determine the location of the biblical apple of Eden which is this relic this artifact that has monumental power to basically make all those who are subject to it bend to the will of whoever's wielding it but it didn't just revolve around the apple of Eden because there were multiple pieces of Eden from an ancient civilization long before our our time yes that the Templars and assassins have hunted for millennia and what's really interesting is within the games, both Desmond's story and his ancestor's story meet when... Most particularly Ezio's. Ezio, yes. When Ezio meets one of these ancient otherworldly beings named Minerva. Yeah, the goddess uh, that people would be most commonly known of, uh, Juno or Minerva. And she ends up using Ezio to speak to Desmond. And when Desmond, now working with the assassins because he escapes Abstergo, ends up going to this cave and essentially he finds the apple of Eden and it causes this whole chain reaction that leads to him talking with these like I said these ancient otherworldly beings these gods quote unquote yeah uh, one of the main points I'm going to interrupt you real quick in Assassin's Creed 3 details have been revealed that the world is going to be destroyed on uh, December 25th 2012 or like 21st 2012 kind of like how yeah when when they like the whole conspiracy of when the world 
world was going to end. Because of the Mayan yeah. calendar. Mm-hmm. And they kind of like put that into the story. And so like Desmond's looking for this apple of Eden so that way he can stop the world's destruction from solar flares. And that was one thing that was kind of annoying is at the end of Assassin's Creed 3 when he's talking, which which god was he talking to again? Or goddess? He was. Ta- I thought he was still talking to Minerva. Yeah, was he, he was still, he talking, was still to talking to Minerva. To Minerva. She gives him this choice to kill himself and or, save Well, the world. okay, so the choice was that if he had touched this orb, it would save the earth, but in doing so, killing him? Yes. And the other one was let the earth be destroyed, have him survive and a group of others and basically rebuild the world. And what was kind of dumb about that is Desmond kind of already made the choice for himself. And uh, you don't get to do that as a player. Yeah. Which is really disappointing because I would love to have seen both endings. Yeah, it would have been, yeah. it would have been a nice little uh, change of things, but you know. And it kind of seemed out of character, really, uh, yeah. for, for Desmond to do. So. But what ends up happening is he dies and then following with the next... Well, a shield actually goes around the earth Yeah. because uh, it was a trick the entire time, I believe, that Minerva... Yeah. It was all part of Minerva's plan and that kind of bleeds into a little bit of the fourth game. Yeah. Uh, does it? Well, yeah. I have not played it well, myself, it, it does. so I don't know. What happens is Abstergo actually takes Desmond's body and somehow gets his DNA and therefore his ancestors' DNA from him and now has other people, including your player character, reliving Desmond's memories under the guise of playtesting for research for a new video game. Kind uh, of meta. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, then I, and then I would say it kind of, after, again, after 4, it just kind of strays off and it focuses more on the uh, the assassins itself. So... Yeah, and honestly, all of these games within the Animus, within reliving these ancestor memories, they all have their own nuanced stories within them that are really cool and intriguing with lots of cool characters. Ezio being one of my personal favorite, he is this, you know, this teenager... Charismatic playboy. Yeah, <laughs> in, in Florence uh, under a rich family, and his dad was actually an assassin, but he didn't know that, and his entire family ends up getting hanged. Executed. Yeah, they get it's executed. The perfect revenge story, and that's what's amazing. I mean, that's what's good about the... That's why that story is so good in two. You have a, a good modern with a, the whole Desmond thing going on, and you have this good Ezio story. So you yeah. have two stories to juggle that are both really well. And it all ends up leading to Ezio killing the Pope, because the Pope was the leader of that sect of Templars. Yeah. And one of the really cool things about the Assassin's Creed universe and the stories that they tell is when not so much with the newer games, but with most of the games when they had that more freedom of these historical figures, they have you assassinate all these various historical figures and they keep to the exact date that those figures died, which was really cool because you're interacting with all these historical figures like the Pope, Leonardo da Vinci. You don't assassinate da Vinci. Da Vinci's cool. Yeah, no, he's awesome. (laughs) Uh, And in Assassin's Creed 3, they even implement the whole Paul Revere's ride where you're actually with Paul Revere telling everybody that the British are coming. Yeah. That whole scenario is played out. And you meet Washington, too. You meet Washington, and he's kind of a dick. (laughs) Uh, Especially in that DLC. Oh, my God, the tyranny. It's kind of an alternate reality segment where George Washington actually decided to take reign as king of America. Yep. You have to take him down. And one of the most interesting things story-wise was actually in Revelations when Ezio explores more about Altair because with Altair was the main character of the first game. he kind of got shelved. Yeah. Really? He really did. And he was one of the most interesting characters because he was this really sort of arrogant, I'm better than everyone assassin who gets put in his place and has to save the world from his mentor. Who ends up being the main bad guy. Yeah. Yeah. And later on when Ezio 
Ezio is sort of searching for the apple and these answers and whatnot, he discovers, or should I say Desmond discovers through these sort of memory fragments that Altair actually had the apple and into his old age was protecting it and using it to fight off the Templars. And that was just, that was so interesting. In and, that. It, and it gave us a good closer for for his story. Yeah. Yes. And then we started to work into some other characters. And one thing that actually kind of disappointed me in Assassin's Creed 3, the main character, Connor, you don't start playing as him until a few hours into the game. For the first portion, yeah, you're playing right. as Haytham Kenway. His father. With his father. Which is his father. And Haytham is this really cool, sophisticated character who at the beginning, you're like, oh, this guy's so cool. He's this awesome assassin. And then you find out he's actually a Templar. Yeah. And he's the main villain. It was so mind-blowing for many people who played. I remember whenever I hung out at a friend's house and we were and he was playing it for the first time. It had just recently come out. And whenever that plot twist hit, everyone in the room just was like, what? <laughs> so yeah, that was that was incredible. And then we get put into the shoes of Connor, who's really a half-done character. And I just and got a bit a, of a whiny oh, bitch. I yeah. just gotta <laughs> say, not only that, he's the problem for all the events to come. Like, you're basically destroying your people's homes and he's saying he's out there to save them, but really, you, he's just too arrogant and does all the wrong things, which the player knows and wouldn't want to do, so it's just, it makes him such an unlikable character for that reason. Yeah. Agreed. But then, we go back into Assassin's Creed 4, where you're playing as Edward Kenway, who's actually the father the grand, of Haytham. Yeah, the grandfather of Connor. And he is this, he's a pirate who gets washed up into the Assassin's Brotherhood, and he's just, he's so cool, he's suave, I mean, you're playing more of a pirate than an assassin, and it's so much fun, because he's got a crew, and... But I think, and I think that's why his character works so well, is because by the end of the game, you get this full assassin transition. It yeah. doesn't, you don't become an assassin just right away like that. Uh, you I gotta work that, for it. And I, and I think that's what was amazing about his character. It was trying to choose the life of, do I be a pirate, or do I be an assassin? There's no really in-between. Yeah. And I really like that weird little, like, back and forth thing where he was an assassin, then Haytham was a Templar, and then Connor was an assassin. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Huh. And then with Assassin's Creed Unity, that was really kind of a miss there. Uh, what they, I honestly think what they were doing was they were trying to give us another Ezio. You he know? was, because uh, Arno. Arno was his name. Yeah. And he did have a lot of characteristics of Ezio, but he was just uh, kind of washed. It was just washed yeah. out Ezio, really. Basically, what they did was they were like, okay, our most successful character that we've ever had was this Italian, which is one of sort of the cultures of love. And he was this cocky kind of playboy who's really suave, who's cool, who gets washed into this whole conspiracy and is so interesting. So we're going to do a French guy who's this playboy and is cocky and kind of cool, but he doesn't have the same motivation and therefore his story plays out so much more boring. Yeah. And I think, it, again, it goes back to the whole world building. The reason some of the characters work so well is because the world that they were raised in, it just doesn't seem right that Arno, the time that he was raised in, he would have that personality per se. But then we go into Assassin's Creed Syndicate and we see this relationship between these two siblings, again, Jacob and Evie Fry. And Jacob's really the more cocky, I'm just gonna go punching my way in type of person. And Evie is the more strategical, let's calm down, let's plan this out. And it just, their, their whole dynamic works so well. And their story is really trying not so much to be assassins, but just trying to rule London as having the biggest street gang. And they sort of use that as the foundation for their assassin background. And I thought that it worked really well. What, what did you think about 
that one, Patrick. I enjoyed it. I really loved the dynamic between the brother-sister relationship throughout the game because there's, <clears throat> spoiler alert, there's a small part where they end up kind of like getting into a feud and so they separate for the time being. And so you're kind of stuck playing one character and then eventually you end up going to the other character as things go on. Yeah. And it's just sort of funny to see them bicker too. Yeah. It, it really, it gives so much more depth when you have those two characters and you see how they interact with each other as well as the world around them and how they approach situations differently. You have so much more complexity to the characters and therefore the overall universe and story that we're building upon. So I think that it makes up a little bit for the fact that we've lost that second dimension of storytelling and character development with the exclusion of a character outside the animus. So overall, the stories, they've had their ups and downs, they've had their good characters, their bad characters, their fun, interesting, complex stories, and their really Linear, basic... Lackluster. Lackluster stories. Yes. And I think that Ubisoft has, as a company has really seen some of the mistakes that they've made in the past and they're working to correct those. And so I hope that when they make their next game, it's going to be good. So what it all boils down to with these story elements, with these gameplay elements, with everything really combined is between the three of us, which games are replayable? Which ones do we want to go back to and relive again? So I would say, you know, again, not every game is replayable. I would definitely, me personally, like if I could pick between like just two games I'd say two and four uh, I wish I could go back to the first game because really it's it has a great boss battle at the end of the game oh, that's, yeah. oh, and that's, that's really fun, so if, fun. If, if there was more of that the first game would definitely be uh, way more replayable but it's just very boring and it's just one of those things that you have to trudge through but yeah. two the side missions there's so much to do the regular the, like the story itself is fun you want to collect everything and four for me was just two but like so much more the seeds to like explore the waters to like plunder the skins and hunting animals and all that stuff was just very fun for me i agree with you on four just because there's so much to do in that game and there's so much that i want to go back and do again i would though i would say brotherhood over two hmm. because i think brotherhood took what was so great about two and just added to it first of all with the character with Ezio in the first game he was a bit of a loose cannon and now he's a little bit older he's a little bit more refined and he's more complex in that way that he has all of these past experiences that he's built upon and he knows more of his direction now. And then with the gameplay, it takes all of those great mechanics that we had in 2. It gives us those that group of assassins to collect not really collect, but to recruit and to call upon. It gives us a lot more gadgets, a larger world to play in. In my opinion, a more interesting overall progression of story both inside the Animus and outside. So I thought that Brotherhood was honestly in my opinion the pinnacle of the Ezio saga. I mean, I can see where you're coming from, but I just love 2's fighting, like, its combat system so much more. I'd it's agree very with fun. Yeah. It's fluid, it's very fun. Very mashable, like, just very keep... mashable. <laughs> it's like, while some might argue the combat's maybe a little too easy, I... I take... It's very fun. I, it's yeah, fun, it's and it's easy to get back into. It's, sat oh, yeah, it's satisfying yeah. as hell to just, like, wham, 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 doing this and that, just killing people left and right. It's so great. So what would you say the, the ones that you'd replay? <clears throat> Um, some of them I haven't, oh, I, I haven't played all of them, so I'm so a little... So obviously 4 is not on the yeah, list, but four, it definitely 4 would can't be. be on the list, but I am definitely willing to try 4 in the future. I definitely enjoy 2. I uh, agree with all that you said about that. I definitely need to get back into replaying Syndicate, just because I haven't finished the story. Same. From the point that I'm at, so I would like to go back because what I was playing was lots of fun. And with all the new mechanics and everything, with the story and the brother-sister dynamic, it's all great.
great. But when it comes to some of the newer games, I don't know how just how replayable they are because with a lot of the newer games, which I've seen examples of this on all kinds of YouTube videos and such, there's a lot of missions where it's just follow this person, listen to them talk, follow this person, listen to them talk. And it's like, this is so boring. Like, I forget what which game it was. I think it actually might have been four, but someone made a video talking about the first basically hour of the game when you actually get into the animus is just following people while talking to them and then maybe doing a small thing and then trailing, trailing, trailing. It's like, ugh, that's not fun. <laughs> yeah, and I will say there was one mission where you had to follow in a boat and that was... Oh, yeah. That one very was Very campy and just... Yeah. Oh. But, I mean, overall with these games, and you can say a lot of the same about one that we've already kind of talked yeah. about. It, one really had two missions throughout the entire thing. Scout out and find who to kill, kill them. Yeah. Yep. And it was a rinse and repeat type of thing. And they built upon that. They gave us more mission types. They gave us more things to do. And when you have an open world game, it open world games really lend themselves to replayability because mm -hmm. you've, you go through this game and even after you beat the main story, you go on to another game, you come back because you want to get back into it. You want to collect all those collectibles, see everything there is to see. And even once you've done all that, you start again and you relive that story. So it, it all comes down to just your own personal preference and which games you think are better and which games you find more fun. <laughs> yeah. So now, before we wrap things up, we're going to give you our final opinions. So all in all, we've talked about a lot of games and a lot of different mechanics here. And really, it all comes down to the Assassin's Creed franchise has had its ups and downs. It's had its goods. It's had its not so goods. There are lots of different opinions around here. I think that the franchise as a, as a whole has been really fun and has offered some interesting looks at historical elements and gameplay. And I think that there are a lot of fun games. I do think the franchise is getting a little bit tired and I think it needs to see some major changes or near its end soon. But if you haven't played them, I think you should. Uh, I, I would actually agree with that. Uh, as much as there are some games that I don't like, if you've never played the series, I'd say play them all just to get the feel of it. Because even the, the world building itself is also like really good. Maybe just watch the cutscenes from one. Yeah. You don't need to play it. Yeah, you don't need to play one. Yeah, no, it's, it's too stale to do one again. Although, I do like the final boss the fight, boss? and I wish they incorporated more stuff like that with the later games instead of just like, oh, find the guy, kill him, now you got a big-ass cutscene, the end, bye-bye. But, uh, yeah, for my final opinion, I definitely agree with these two. The games are all great ups and downs, and, you know, I definitely feel like the first four games in the series, and, I mean, the first four plus the two continuations of two, they're all fantastic, and I definitely recommend playing them. As for the newer ones, I don't really have a proper opinion, because the only of the newer ones I've played are Syndicate. I haven't played Rogue or Unity, or I haven't played 4, technically, but from what all I've seen, it looks good, and I'd definitely play it, so yeah. I think that just about wraps it up for Assassin's Creed, so we'll catch you next time. This has been another episode of In Sequence with Patrick Spin and Drew. I've been Spin. I've been Patrick, I think. And I've been Drew! And for all you gamers out there, stay classy. Stay beautiful. And keep listening, please. Have a good one. Again, the intro music, Pugatorian Friends, and the outro music, Salty Diddy, have both been written by Kevin MacLeod. Any of the music and sound effects heard throughout the rest of the podcast, however, has been pulled directly from the uh, Assassin's Creed games. So, all the rights to those songs and sound effects go to those creators. Thanks again for listening! <laughs>